Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. This is your first time. My name is Dustin Saunders. I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, we are going to look into God's word this morning. So before we do that, would you pray with me? Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your majesty. Speak, O Lord, this morning. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Looks like a southern church out there this morning. Everyone's got their fans out. (laughs) But I want to begin with this morning with a little exercise. I want to put a scenario to you, and I want you to think just exactly how you would respond to this scenario, this situation. So here it is. Um, Now, don't think about it too long or it won't work. Just answer in your head. So here's a scenario. One night as you're drifting off to sleep, God appears to you in a dream and asks you one question. Ask from me any one thing, and I will give it to you. So how would you respond? That's, that's what I want you to think about. What would you ask for? Not what you think you're supposed to ask for, but what would you ask for? What, what is your first inclination? Now, if God asked you that right now, the answer might be air conditioning. I think we might all come into agreement on that. Um, but what would you ask for? Would you ask for fame? Would you ask for, I don't know, 5 million Instagram followers? Would you ask for the perfect house? Maybe a nice, reliable car? Maybe you would ask for a perfect husband or wife. Or better yet, a rich, perfect husband or wife. Rich people need love too. Maybe a ton of money? Or would you ask for health and a long life? Maybe just a good night's rest. Or maybe you would ask for something else entirely. But let's be honest What you would ask for, what I might ask for in this scenario, reveals our hearts. Reveals our hearts. What you would ask for in this scenario reveals what you desire most. Your deepest desire, what you think will solve your problems. What you think will bring you happiness. This morning we're going to see that Solomon lived out this situation. We're going to see an instance in Solomon's life where God appears to him in a dream and asks him this very same question. We're going to see what Solomon asks for and how God responds and the results that it has in his kingdom. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, you know that the main thing that he's associated with, that he's known for, is wisdom. Not only did Solomon write and put together the book of Proverbs, um, but the author of 1 Kings makes an obvious attempt in chapters 3 through 10 to document and showcase the wisdom of Solomon. That's what's going on, and that's what we're going to look at this morning and in the next few weeks. The author of 1 Kings is trying to show us Solomon's wisdom. So really, for the next few weeks, 
We're going to be taking an in-depth look at, at Solomon's wisdom, where it comes from, and what results it has in his kingdom. Now again, the book of 1 Kings, the life of Solomon, and this series are not just history lessons, but God has given, us to, given them to us to encourage us, to train us, to equip us, to warn us, and to give us hope, and ultimately to show us Christ Jesus. But before we learn this morning about the origin and the fruit of Solomon's wisdom, we need to answer this question. What is wisdom? Well, there are multiple ways to look at it. And depending on how you use the word, it can have a little different shades of meaning. But the dictionary defines it, wisdom, as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. That's a pretty good definition and fairly biblical as well. The ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Wisdom, discernment, and good judgment are always tied together in the scriptures. That makes sense. The famous theologian J.I. Packer defined wisdom this way, similar but different. He said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. In other words, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do and the right way to do it. Another great and biblical definition. But let me boil these down for you. Essentially, wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to choose things that will get the best outcome. J.I. Packer, again, gives a great illustration of, of what wisdom is. Listen to what he says. Wisdom is like being taught to drive. What matters in driving is the speed and appropriateness of your reactions to things and the soundness of your judgment as to what scope a situation gives you. You do not ask yourself why the road should narrow or turn itself into a dog leg just where it does, nor why that van should be parked where it is, nor why the driver in front should hug the curve of the road so lovingly. Simply, you try to see and do the right thing, the actual situation that presents itself. The effect of divine wisdom, he says, is to enable you and me to do just that in the actual situations of everyday life. Okay, so wisdom sounds great, um, but you might be thinking, okay, well, how do I become wise then? Where do I get this wisdom? Do I need to go, travel to India and train under an Eastern guru? Do I need to learn the lotus position and meditate for eight hours a day? Do I need to go to some weekend seminar? Do I need to buy a course on the internet? Do I need to read all the classics? What do I have to do? Do I have to get a degree? Where do I find this wisdom? Well, the answer to all those questions is no. And that's what we're going to see in the text this morning. The first thing we're going to see is that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. In other words, there's only one place to get true wisdom, and that is from God himself. God is the sole distributor of wisdom. Those who seek true wisdom must seek it from the true source, God himself. So let's look at the text, and we're going to begin this morning right where we left off. Well, sort of. And before I start, I want to say this. We're going to be skipping over a couple verses, and we're going to come back to them in the end, which will make sense when we get there. So if you see some being left out, that's why. So we're going to start this morning in 1 Kings 3.3. 3. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn there with me. 1 Kings 3.3, 3. open up your app and slide, slide till you get there. 1 Kings 3.3. 3. So remember, Solomon has just been established on the throne. His kingdom is established. And here's what the text says next. 1 Kings 3.3. 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. 
Okay, so pause for a second. So what we're seeing is that Solomon's love for the Lord is sincere. Uh, actually, he's the only person that that phrase, blank, loved the Lord. He's the only person in scripture that gets that attributed to him. Uh, so what we're seeing is he's sincere. Solomon's love for the Lord led him to worship. And so King Solomon regularly went to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was at Gibeon. Remember, there's no temple yet. Uh, that's where we're going to go next week. There's just the tent that Moses had used, the tabernacle. Uh, now, King Solomon used to offer huge amounts of animals for the glory of God and to the praise of his name. And so during one of these nights, when the king is at Gibeon worshiping, when God appears to him, Solomon's worship preceded God's great offer. And I think that's important. God's appearance to Solomon is a gracious response to his faithfulness. In other words, brothers and sisters, we don't wait to worship God until he gives us what we want. We worship God because he's worthy of it. And in his grace, he responds in due time. But let's continue with the text in verse 5. So at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. So there it is. That's the question. God puts it to Solomon. Ask from me something and I will give it to you. Let's look at Solomon's answer. Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people." Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So there's Solomon's response. God appears to Solomon in a dream. Ask what I shall give you. Solomon, what do you want? I will give you anything. And you see, this is kind of a test because, again, what we pray for reveals our hearts. What you pray for or don't pray for reveals what you truly desire, what you truly think you need. And so what does Solomon do? Well, first, before he even gets to answering God's question, he acknowledges God's past faithfulness. Lord, you have shown great love to David. You have kept all the promises that you made to him. God, you are faithful. Second, he acknowledges God's present faithfulness. Lord, you have shown me favor by crowning me king of Israel. And third, he acknowledges his own weakness. Lord, you, had ma you have made me king even though I am not qualified nor equipped with the skills to be able to do this. I'm like a little child. He says, I don't even know how to go out or come in. I, I, don't, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And his language is telling. Notice how he keeps referring to himself in the prayer. Your servant, your servant, your servant. Solomon rightly recognizes that although he is king of Israel, he is first and foremost God's humble servant. And this prayer is such an amazing model. Think about it. God appears to Solomon, asks him this stunning question, and Solomon's immediate response is not to answer, but to praise God for his faithfulness, for his goodness, for all the ways that God has blessed Solomon. He acknowledges his weakness and how, how inexperienced he is. And I think that's a wonderful picture of Solomon's heart filled with love for God. A heart rightly ordered before God, and I pray our own hearts would be so rightly ordered as well. But that's not all. So to top it all off, he asked for one thing. 
wisdom. Or as the ESV says here, an understanding mind. Literally in Hebrew, he says a hearing heart. So that he can do what? He asks for a purpose. Look at verse 9. So that he can govern well. So that he can discern between good and evil. So that he can know the right thing to do and the right way to do it. Out of all the things he can ask for, Solomon wants an understanding mind. He wants wisdom. He wants to be able to rule wisely and well and to be pleasing to God. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for women. He didn't ask for revenge. He didn't ask for a long life. No, he simply asked God for wisdom to rule God's kingdom well, to rule God's people well. Now notice this. He asked for something to benefit others He asked for something that will equip him to fulfill the task that God has given him. You see that. Now let's look at how God responds. Look at verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked that. He was pleased. God was pleased with Solomon. Well, of course God was pleased. God is pleased when we ask him for things that he wants to give us. It pleases God to give his children good things, the Bible tells us, and it especially pleases God when we ask him to equip us with the wisdom and ability to do the things that he has called us to do. So let's continue in verse 11. Let's look at God's answer. This is amazing. Look what God says in verse 11. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word, Solomon. Isn't that amazing? God says to a human, I now do according to your word. It's amazing. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So because God is pleased with Solomon's request, God gives Solomon everything he asked for and more. In fact, he gives Solomon so much wisdom that he will become the wisest king in Israelite history, the wisest king on earth, and the wisest person on earth, God says. Now, Solomon didn't ask to be the wisest person on earth. He just said, hey, can you give me some wisdom so I can rule your people well? God says, Solomon, I'm going to make you the wisest man on earth. Specifically, God says, because Solomon did not ask for anything for himself, I am about to rock your world, Solomon. I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm also going to give you all the stuff that you didn't ask for, wealth and fame. Solomon, you're going to be the richest man, you're going to be the wisest man, and you're going to be the most famous king on earth. Because Solomon sought the well-being of God's people and God's kingdom above his own, God blessed him abundantly. You see, even before Jesus uttered the words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, Solomon was living proof of it. And so God gave Solomon wisdom, wealth, and honor. And how does Solomon respond? He worships. He worships. And worship is always the right response when God blesses us. So Solomon worships and he throws a party for his servants. Look at verse 15. And Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. 
it's quite obvious that Solomon's new God-given wisdom is already in effect. It's at work. You see, the point is this. True wisdom comes from God. True wisdom comes from God. There's no better illustration of this than Solomon. And of course, this isn't the only passage in the Bible that talks about wisdom or the source of wisdom. Um, And there's way too many to talk about this morning. But two, uh, in the book of Proverbs, are very telling, written by Solomon himself. Look at Proverbs 2.6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Again, these passages say the same thing we've been saying. You want wisdom, it's found in God. The message of this episode of Solomon's life and these verses in Proverbs, which he wrote, is clear. Wisdom comes from God. God is the source of all true wisdom. So consider your life. What has God called you to? What, what, God called Solomon to be king of Israel, and Solomon prayed for wisdom to fulfill that role well. What role, what task, what mission has God given you? What has he called you to? What has God appointed you to? Has he appointed you to be an elder of the church? Well, then tell him about your weakness like Solomon and ask him for wisdom. Ask from God who gives abundantly. Has he called you to be a deacon? Tell him about your weakness and ask for God's wisdom who gives abundantly. Has he called you to be a mother or a father? Tell him about your weakness. Ask for wisdom from the God who gives abundantly. Has he called you to singleness in this season? Tell him about your weakness and ask for wisdom from God who gives abundantly. Husbands, God has appointed you the spiritual leader of your family. You can't do it on your own. It's time to get on your knees and tell him about your weakness and ask for wisdom from God who gives abundantly and generously. Has he called you to be a son and daughter, a Christ follower, daily, moment by moment, tell him about your weakness and ask for wisdom from God who gives abundantly. You see, that's how this text speaks to us. True wisdom comes from God, and yet we waste so much time seeking it in every other source. True wisdom comes from God, and He gives it abundantly. He gives it generously to those who ask, to those who seek wisdom to fulfill their calling, to those who are seeking the glory of God, to those who are seeking to be faithful to God. Solomon received wisdom, and if you would be wise also, you must seek wisdom from the only source, God himself. Because God, true wisdom comes from God. So the author of 1 Kings has explained to us the origin and source of Solomon's world-renowned wisdom. But what now? Well, now the author goes on to document some of Solomon's acts. In other words, he's shown us the source of Solomon's wisdom. Now he's going to show us the fruit of Solomon's wisdom. So if God really gave Solomon wisdom, let's see what happens. Let's see how it, it works out in his kingdom. That's what we're going to see next. And, he, and what we're going to see is simply this. Wisdom results in blessing. Wisdom results in blessing. Divine wisdom bears the fruit of blessing to those who encounter it. In other words, a wise person has a positive impact on the world around him. Wisdom is active and wisdom blesses others. Wisdom results in many kinds of blessings, and we're going to see that in Solomon's kingdom. So let's take a look at the text to see this in Solomon's life. Well, the first result that the author gives us of godly wisdom in Solomon's life is the blessing of righteous judgment and justice. Look at 1 Kings 3.16. 
Now, this is a famous portion of scripture. Uh, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, okay, so there's two prostitutes before the king. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight, and she took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. So you see what's going on. The king is presented with a seemingly impossible problem. It's a he, well, it's a she said, she said, I guess. Uh, there's no witnesses. There's no way, there's, uh, there's no DNA test. Okay, this problem would be easy for Jerry Springer to solve. And it, pro- it sounds like something that would be on the show. Uh, you just can't escape that. But it's easy to solve now because we have DNA tests, okay? Mari would knock this one out of the park. But Solomon has no DNA tests. He has no ability other than his wisdom, to figure this out. So they both claim the living baby is their own and that the dead child is the other's. And they're both claiming that the other person stole it. So let's see how Solomon answers. Let's see Solomon's wise solution. Let's continue. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead and my son is living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. Can you imagine what's going on in this woman's minds? And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Okay, so Solomon solves the problem. It's a little morbid, but he gets the job done. But because he was so wise, he knew that it was work, would work. He wasn't actually going to kill the child. And that was the result. The result is what verse 28 says. All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king. In other words, they said, yeah, that's my king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. They stood in awe of the king because the result of God's wisdom in him was righteous judgment. Justice was done because of Solomon's godly wisdom. Wisdom results in the blessings of righteous judgment and justice. But that's not all. Wisdom also results in the blessings of organization and administration. Now, we're not going to read through the whole passage, but the next passage in 1 Kings 4, 1 through 19, the author documents and lays out how Solomon organized his kingdom. So he gives you all the officers and what they were in charge of. And essentially what we see is Solomon reorganizes the the districts of the kingdom of Israel, puts new people in charge, creates new ones, and kind of fixes everything uh, so that it runs more efficiently. Through his wisdom, he organizes and reorganizes the leadership of Israel. He creates structure. 
And as we'll see next, this structure results in prosperity for Israel. And we understand this because we know that God is wise, obviously, and God himself creates structure and organizes things. I mean, there's evidence of this everywhere. Think of the whole creation account of Genesis 1 through 2. It's the story of God creating order out of chaos. God implements structure in the church, elders, deacons, etc. God implements order in the home. Husbands, lead your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your father and mother. There's order in the home. I think you get the picture. Godly wisdom results in the blessing of organization. People know what they're supposed to be doing and where they're supposed to do it. But we also see that godly wisdom results in the blessing of happiness. Look at verse 20 in chapter 4. This is the result of the organization and everything that's going on. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. So they're, they're multiplying. They ate and drank and were happy. They were happy. See, Solomon's wise leadership led to the happiness of his people. The happiness of his people. But we also see another result of blessing in that last verse. Now, this is my personal favorite. Godly wisdom results in the blessing of a lot of food. To see this, I'm serious, I'm serious. To see this, you just have to read 4, 22 through 25. Because of Solomon's ability to lead well, because of his wisdom, Israel prospers and food and drink are plentiful. Now, if you, if you read scripture, uh, 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 a big bounty of food and drink is one of the marks of the blessing of God. When God curses a people, he says, you will won't have food and drink. And we see this in, in verse, in chapter four, it says, every man under his vine and under his fig tree and every, in, in, in another sense, everyone has their space to grow their own food. Everyone is prospering. Nobody's starving. And, and we take that for granted now, but in the ancient world, that was a serious business. If a famine hits the land, that's scary. Everyone is prospering. Everyone is well-fed. Even the animals in Solomon's kingdom are well-fed. We see in chapter four, there is plenty of food. And I know it sounds funny, but think about it. Think about all the food imagery in the Bible. Moses called down manna from heaven. It was a blessing from God. Jesus multiplied loaves and fish, the blessing of God. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, the blessing of God. Jesus called himself the bread of life. Jesus only instituted two ordinances in the church, one which is a meal, the Lord's Supper. No one went hungry in Solomon's kingdom, and no one will go hungry in Jesus' kingdom. Godly wisdom brings the, the blessing of much food. And it's clear from this text that true wisdom comes from God and that true wisdom results in blessing. But the author of 1 Kings isn't done yet. Next, he shows us just how great Solomon's wisdom was. Okay, so it looks pretty good, but how good was it? How, how famous was Solomon? Well, if you look at verse 29 in chapter 4, we're going to read, we're going to see the extent of Solomon's wisdom. It says this in, in verse 29 of chapter 4, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Haman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and fish 
and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of this, his wisdom. So the author concludes this section with yet another testament of how wise Solomon was. Now, again, the focus isn't on Solomon, but the one who gave the wisdom to Solomon. This is how much wisdom God blessed Solomon with. He, he, he was wiser than all the peoples of the East, wiser than all of Egypt. Now, those, those regions are known for their wisdom traditionally. He was wiser than all the other wise guys of his day. He wrote songs. He wrote proverbs. He studied all of creation from the biggest tree, that's the cedar, to the smallest, the hyssop. He was so wise, verse 34 tells us, that people from all nations flocked to hear him speak. Even kings from all the earth flocked to hear his wisdom. What a king. What an amazing blessing to be under the reign of such a wise king. Because true wisdom comes from God and that true wisdom results in blessing. So the kingdom of Israel is prospering. God is fulfilling his promises to them. Justice is being done. Peace has been established. There's food everywhere. Everything is great. Or is it? No, in fact, it's not. You see, although this text is a true testament to Solomon's God-given wisdom and his wise leadership, there are hints along the way that, that something's not right. Something is off. You see, God had given Israel laws concerning his people and concerning the kings specifically that would rule his people. And the truth is that Solomon had already begun to break these laws. So the author is foreshadowing Solomon's great fall. It's no, it's no, it's no secret Solomon is going to have a great fall. These sins that are in Solomon's life are sins that won't create much trouble in the short term, but in the long term will destroy Solomon's reign. Let me run through them quickly, and we're going to go back through the text. I'm going to show you these hints of things that are going wrong. God had commanded his people very specifically in Exodus and Deuteronomy not to intermarry with pagan nations and not to make alliances with pagan nations. Yet, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in Hebrew, the, the word made a marriage alliance is the same word that's used for intermarry. Solomon intermarried with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Can you think of a greater enemy of Israel than Egypt? This is not good. It's not a good sign. God told the kings specifically not to do this in Deuteronomy 17. It would eventually lead their hearts, God says, to worship idols. And that is exactly what happens to Solomon. Also, in the very beginning of chapter 3, we see that Solomon sacrificed and made offerings to the high places. Now, the high places were unauthorized pagan sites that when Israel had entered the land, they were supposed to destroy. And if you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, one of the things you'll notice that the author judges a king by, whether he's a good king or a bad king, was does he worship at the high places and does he destroy them? Because again, God had specifically commanded Israel, destroy the high places when you come into the land. If you don't, you will get led into idolatry. Yet here we are, throughout the reign of David and the reign of Solomon, and the high places still exist. Now, they were worshiping Yahweh at this time in the high places, but it was unauthorized worship. Solomon worshiped at the high places. This is not a good sign. In his list of officers, we see Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, slavery. Now, it will be said later in the book of Kings, after Solomon's dead, that Solomon's reign was a heavy yoke 
upon the people of Israel. This is not a good sign. Wise leadership should not burden its people. Forced labor has no place in the kingdom of God. This is not a good sign. God had commanded his kings in Deuteronomy 17. Now this may sound strange to us, but it'll make sense in a second. Specifically, in Deuteronomy 17, God had said, do not acquire for yourself many horses. Kind of, what? And especially, God says, don't go to Egypt to get the horses. Yet we see in chapter 4, verse 26, that Solomon had begun doing exactly that. Solomon had a great many horses, 40,000 stalls, it says. And the book of Chronicles tells us that Solomon was going to Egypt to get them, trading. This is not a good sign. You see, the Israelite king was not supposed to trust in military might to protect his kingdom, but to trust in the power of God. There's a verse that says exactly that. These are not good signs. Now, everything's okay right now, but there's a foreshadowing that not everything's going to go well. These are signs that although things are going well for Solomon now, unless he changes something, disaster is coming. Remember, God had blessed Solomon with wisdom, but the very last sentence of his answer was, if you continue in faithfulness. So wisdom is not sinlessness. You can be really wise and still do something very foolish, as we'll see in the life of Solomon. And we know, looking back, that disaster, that judgment does come to Solomon and to the kingdom of Israel. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that even the wisest king in history, the wisest man on earth, was not sinless. He was still human. That was his problem. He was still fallen. He was still sinful. And although he was successful for a while, incredibly successful, he ultimately turned out to be a failure. You see, we need a better king. The blessings of wisdom that Solomon's kingdom experienced, justice, righteousness, peace, prosperity, organization, happiness, food. These are things we all ultimately desire, but we can't achieve them. We can't make them happen. That takes a king, someone with authority. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, failed at establishing these for the long term. But we know that one greater than Solomon eventually came. And his name was Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Solomon was wise, but Jesus Christ is the embodiment of wisdom itself. Jesus is wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the king that we need, brothers and sisters. And this is the king that we have. Jesus Christ is our king, our wise king. And he has made provision through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and for the prosperity of his people. He has made a way for everyone who will give their life to him to enter into his kingdom. You see, his kingdom has not been fully established yet, but it's in the process. And every single blessing of wisdom that marked Solomon's kingdom will, be marked, will mark Jesus' kingdom in infinitely greater measure. There will be eternal peace, infinite rest, injustice will be no more. There will be feasts, there will be eternal happiness, and there will be joy because the king 
himself will dwell with his people forevermore. The words of Revelation 21, verse 3 through 7 say this. This is the king that we need and this is the king that we have. Here's what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is coming from the king's throne, brothers and sisters. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, this is coming from the king, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment to the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We saw that last week. God will eliminate his enemies. But Solomon could discern between good and evil. Solomon could discern between good and evil. But we serve a king who could do more than discern between good and evil. We serve a king who defeated evil. And in Christ Jesus, we have that king. He will never betray us. He will never forsake us. He will reign forever. Jesus reigns and Jesus is king The wise will submit to him, will worship him, and enter into his kingdom by the grace of God. The foolish will reject him, and just like Revelation said, be cast into outer darkness. True wisdom comes from God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Wisdom results in blessing. Who has blessed the world more than Christ himself, who gave himself for it? So take hope, brothers and sisters. The king is coming. And let us in the meantime, in holy reverence, Worship our great wise king. And as we have received and are receiving the blessings of his kingdom, let us at all times pray to him to make us wise, like him, to fulfill a task that he has given us. I'd like to read one last passage of scripture as we finish. Listen to this prophecy of Isaiah of the king that would come, our king who is now here. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Long live the King. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your word and we are so thankful. Lord, you speak to us through your living and active word to warn us, to give us hope, 
to show us your son, Christ. And Lord, this morning as we look at the text and as we see the kingship of Solomon, we stand in awe of the kingship of Christ. That for eternity he will reign in righteousness, Father. And Lord, we are so thankful that you will wipe away all tears, Lord, and that you are in the process of finally defeating every enemy, even death itself. Lord, we praise you that Jesus Christ gave himself for us and rose from the dead. And we ask you to increase our faith. And Father, I pray that as we go, you would sink these truths deep down into our heart that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, let us not seek wisdom in other sources, but only from you, the true source of all wisdom. And Father, I pray for anyone here who does not know you, that you would give them the wisdom to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior King, who rose from the dead and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. Lord, give them sight to see. Give them a heart to trust in the King. We pray all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.